If you are our guest, um, or you haven't been in a little bit, you have missed our journey through Lent. You see, Easter, we find, means a lot more when we start preparing for Easter, and we have started to do this on an annual basis, and so during a long time ago, uh, March 2nd, feels like a long time ago, uh, we entered into a season of Lent where we would follow Jesus out into the desert, where we were both, just like him, both tempted by the devil and led by the Spirit, and we've been fasting, right? As, as a church, we asked for a social media fast, um, and, and multiple times did we ask for multiple things throughout the week that you you would give up some things that you'd you'd put down some old habits and you'd become a creature of a new habit. And so this last week you were to put down false idols, false gods, and bring into your life the true worship of the true Messiah doing his true things. And I hope that you did that because ultimately, um, I don't know about you, but I fasted from sugar. And um, and, and I'm going to tell you, it was not awesome. Uh, but when you're fasting from some things, Easter morning means that you do some weird things. Like I ate cookies for breakfast today. <laughs> oh, and you know what the saddest part about it was? I didn't like the taste. And if you know me, that's a tragedy. We've had a death here on Easter Sunday, and it is my desire for cookies because I've not drank or eaten really anything with a whole lot of refined sugars for a long time. You see, Easter changes our habits. Um, some of you have commented on my new shirt. It is a new shirt. Some of you have commented on my new tie. It is a new tie. When Easter comes, I go to the mall. Do you go to the mall? I go to the mall, apparently, during Holy Week. Easter changes your habits, and I'm going to say I went and I did to the mall, and when I was in the mall, I thought of this beautiful Easter illustration because it changes some things. Part of my Easter preparation was getting really close to my computer screen, crossing my eyes, and then moving backwards until I saw an image come into focus. And if you were, grew up in the 80s or the 90s, you know that when you went to the mall, you saw magic eye posters that looked like this. Is it coming up? Yeah. Now. Look at that. You see what I see? You see it? You got to get real close. Someone's got to come alongside you. If you've ever been this person in the mall, they don't do this in the mall anymore, but they used to back in the day when you went to the mall to hang out. Like my kids watch Stranger Things and like the whole season is that they hang out in the mall and I'm like, this is what we used to do in the 80s. Your mom didn't care about you and they dropped you off at the strangers. It's crazy. It was nuts. And so we do this and we walk around and like basically take all the free samples and stare at magic eye posters and do this until someone told you what to do. Otherwise, you'd just be standing and be like, I don't see it. I don't see the T-Rex. I don't see the Saturn space. I don't see it. See, this isn't T-Rex. It's not Saturn. It's the only one I could get to work. So this is what you get. You get shapes. Mmm, shapes. But that's what it is. Anybody see it? Do you say cookies? All of a sudden, I see cookies. It's beautiful. Yes, but see, here's the thing. Easter's a little bit like this poster. You can stare at the Bible. You can hear this story. You can even come to church as a cultural phenomena. And you can stare at it all day long until someone comes alongside you and tells you how to see what you've been staring at your whole life. And what I want to do today is be that person that comes alongside you in the mall after your mom or dad dropped you off because they don't care. I want to come alongside you, not as a creepy stranger, but as a pastor that says, hey, I can help you see some things that you've been staring at for a long time. I want to help you clarify what your vision hopefully doesn't have. It really doesn't have by nature. It doesn't have what it needs to see 
that the Spirit can give you. And so my prayer truly has been, oh, Spirit, give us eyes to see today. Let us help clarify what has been fuzzy in a world that's crazy. This morning I woke up, and I had a little extra time because I woke up a little early. Um, but I have a little extra energy because I've had a little extra coffee. But I woke up, and I read an article. And you know what the number two article was on my Apple News feed? Was what does it mean when a ladybug lands on you? Number two article on Easter Sunday was that when a ladybug even comes near you, it is the story of rebirth. It's Resurrection Sunday. Are we giving to ladybugs, giving us new life in this country? See, we're looking at things. We're not making sense of it. That's the number two article. Millions of people are clicking on this article. Either that or they know some algorithm that I'm like, oh, I would be interested in this ladybug, apparently. Maybe more likely that. I don't know. It's hard to determine which way it is. But look, here's the deal. Don't get lost in egg hunts or picture or your lunch plans. Those are all good and fun. But this day above every day, this day provides clarity for Christians and for people everywhere. What does it clarify? It clarifies this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, the big deal is that Jesus defeated our greatest enemies of death, sin, and the devil. So today, above every day, do we celebrate not only the fact that Jesus is risen, but that our ultimate hope is in our own resurrection in the end. You see, pain and sorrow don't win. Death will not win. That's what resurrection means. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. That's why we can, that's why you're here. It's why it's more full than normal. We want to be reminded that nonsense is nonsense. But our king, oh man, he reigns over everything, even death. So if I could just put today's sermon into one sentence before we get into three points on Acts 10, it's this. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Do you remember them mocking him on the cross? Prove yourself. You won't prove yourself. Get down off the cross. You say you're the Messiah. Come on down. Prove it. No, he proved it by staying. He proved it by descending into the grave. He proved it by raising from the dead. That's when he proved it. He is exactly who he said he was. It's no fairy tale. I've had lots of text conversations with people I love this week about this is all just a fairy tale. Not a fairy tale. I can tell you 100% guarantee, not a fairy tale. You want to know why? You should have seen me in 1999. You should have seen me on October 11th, 1999, and then seen me on October 12th on 1999. That's how I know this is real. There's not one thing that would capture my heart the way this truth has captured it. I wouldn't stand before you and tell you about anybody that was great except myself before that day. But he is great. So today, what are we clarifying? Well, uh, exactly what I just said, right? The resurrection, number one, clarifies who Jesus is. That's what the resurrection is all about. Easter eggs are fine, um, although they don't make sense. Why do we do Easter eggs on Easter Sunday? Nothing in it makes sense, um, but we do it. It's cultural. It's what we do. We've quit dying eggs in our house just because we basically got lazy over COVID. Sorry, kids. We love you. But we've used COVID as the excuse that we're not doing it forever. 
It's not about that, right? It's about something much more significant. The resurrection clarifies the person of Jesus. It points to Jesus in this short but powerful passage. There's a few things that I just want to highlight about Jesus. So if you got your Bible, I'm going to use it. And we're just going to go down one by one. Look at what the resurrection does. Number one, in the middle of all of this is this, is this beautiful truth that he was put on a tree, but that after three days he raised from the dead in the middle of 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree right here in the middle of this passage is the death of Jesus. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, we go on to say to us. Death and resurrection is the crux of this passage. It's the very center of the entire universe. It's hope, the center of your life. Because the risen Jesus is clarified on Resurrection Sunday. You see, this is what Peter says In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, that's Jesus preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. You see, first and foremost, Jesus is the messenger of peace. I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but he did not come to condemn you. You were already condemned because you you preferred the darkness, John 3, 16 says. You remember that verse? Right after that, it says, he didn't come to condemn you. You were already condemned. Because you loved the darkness. Me too. You loved sin. Me too. And so Jesus didn't come to condemn you. You already condemned yourself. Instead, he came into the darkness to pull you out. By peace. By a message of peace and reconciliation from sinner to perfect father. That's the message of peace that Jesus came to bring. He is the messenger of peace. Jesus is God's anointed, it says, right there in verse 38, the first part of 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit and with power. Anointing just means he's appointed with a specific mission. He was the one that Isaiah 61 talked about. And we know that because Jesus quotes this passage when he starts his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He goes into the synagogue and he reads out of Isaiah 61, 1, which says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Not good news. I mean, not bad news. Good news. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This was his appointed purpose, to share this message. You see, this was always backed up with how he lived, right? When people would come to him for healing, in multiple different occasions, they would come to him for healing, and he would do what? He would not heal them right away. He would instead forgive them of their sins. And he did this in this order. It, number one, angered the Pharisees. But at number two, what did it do? It proved that he had the power to forgive sins because he was the anointed Messiah. So he comes, people go to him, and they go, I want some healing. And he goes, okay, let's talk about this for a little bit. And they go, hey, look, good news, like your sins are forgiven. And they all go, oh, how dare you? Only God can forgive sins. And he says, yeah, yeah, but by, since you brought that up, so that you know that the Son of God has come with the power of God, get up, take your mat, and go home. And they get up, and they take their mat, and they go home. He was appointed and anointed for this purpose to forgive sinners of their sin. Thirdly, Jesus is more powerful than the devil. If you look at the end of that verse, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. 
for God was with him. The Bible is a great identifier for what's true and what's not true. And why I got choked up during Giselle's story a little bit earlier, because she said, I couldn't understand a God that would, that would do all this to me. And what she's come to understand is that it's not a God that's doing these things. The devil does some things, but God does allow them. And that's a tough thing to swallow at 15. It's a tough thing to swallow at your age. <laughs> It's a tough thing to swallow, but take this, y'all. Jesus is more powerful than the devil. He's got to be. You know why? Because when he's on the earth, is the, the demons, they know exactly who he is. When he walks into the room, what do the demons do when they're oppressing someone? Oh, I know who you are. You're, you're Jesus. You're the anointed one. You're the, you're the sent one. You're the Messiah. Don't torment me, the demons would say to Jesus. It says it over and over in the scriptures. Demons pleading with Jesus not to be tormented. Oh, he's more powerful than the devil. Absolutely. The resurrected king is more powerful than the devil. I don't care what he's coming against you with. He's more powerful than that. That's where the resurrection clarifies for us. We can get all fuzzy or not, but let's bring it in to focus. He is our curse taker, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's code. That's code for those that are listening to this, that they hung him on a tree. Yeah, Galatians 3 says this. Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He's our curse taker. He took the curse of the penalty of sin for you. You racked up a terrible debt. And he hung up on the tree on purpose to take the curse, the wrath of God on your behalf. You're going to stand before God. And you're either going to pay for your own sins or you're going to point to the one who has paid for them for you. That's what it means that Jesus is your curse taker because it goes on into the next one. In verse 42, it says that Jesus is the judge. Verse 42, if you read it, and I'm, I'm just here reading it out of the Bible here. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God. There's that, 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 that word again, appointed, anointed for a mission by the Father to be the judge of the living and the dead. Don't go through the Bible like you go through Chipotle. I'll take a little bit. I haven't done rice in a while, but I did a little, little lettuce as my new bed. Not nearly as fun as rice, by the way. I did a little lettuce. I did a little, a little, a little uh, uh, that new, whatever that chicken is that they got with all the goods on it. I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take some black beans, not refried or pinto. I'll take, I'm just giving you my order in case you want to show up one day and give you my Chipotle, but you don't. And I'm not going to give you the rest so you don't do that. Nonetheless, you go along the line and you pick what you want and you leave what you don't want. Back in the day, it was Luby's. Y'all know. Y'all know. Luby's ain't around anymore, right? Uh, that, that's, I mean, Jesus has risen, but we can't get a Luby's nearby. Let's go. We got a Luann platters, right? You got double mac and cheese, because I'm eight. And then we got that red jello at the end. And all is well and right with the world. Not green jello. Y'all are sociopaths if you like green jello. I can't help you. Red. You go down the line, and what do you do? You pick and choose what you want. Don't do that with the Bible. Jesus, gentle Jesus, the greatest humanitarian, the greatest person on the, that has ever walked the planet, is going to take his rightful place on a throne where he will judge all people. 
Don't sanitize the Bible just because we don't like it, because it's hard. But he's, he's, he's all these things and more, right? In verse 40, it says that he is our resurrected king, but God raised him on the third day. That's what we believe. That's what today's all about. That's, it's, it's death is swallowed up in victory. Why is all this important? Well, one thing I missed on purpose. If you noticed, I skipped a little bit of 36. There's a little parenthetical statement, if you're looking at your Bible, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, parentheses, he is the Lord of all, parentheses. It's not a parenthetical statement that he is the Lord of all. You see, if there's no resurrection, he is the Lord of nothing. If there is no resurrection, death wins. If there's no resurrection, sin still has the keys to your life. If there's no resurrection, the devil has all the power he wants over you. But because he is risen, because he has come out of the grave, he is Lord of all. Not just death, not just the devil, not just sin, but you and me if we would believe. And actually, even if you don't believe, the Bible says that you'll raise to life and you'll meet him at that great white throne. And you know what's going to happen when you meet him? If you're not a believer, Jesus, you are Lord. Believer or not believer in this life, you will bow the knee. You will confess with your tongue because he's the Lord of all. I was meeting with someone recently and he goes, oh man, praise God that he's the Lord of all. I was like, yeah, he's not the Savior of all. He goes, What? No, no, this doesn't mean that even if you die that you're going to be a, a believer. He's the Lord, but he's only the Savior to some. He's only the Savior to some. And so it's with that thought that we think about not just who Jesus is, but who we are. So you keep staring at that image, and, and one thing becomes clear, and it's who Jesus is. The next thing that becomes clear is who you are. Good news, y'all. If you want to know what God's will is for you, if you've been fumbling through some purpose over the last few years of COVID and everything else, there's good news in the scriptures to tell you today exactly who you are. And there's two words in here. Chosen and witness. If you read with me in the scriptures, verses 41 and 42, that he raised on the third day and he made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I don't know what you think about the resurrection, but the fact that Jesus showed up and was hungry and wanted to eat proves his humanity, proves that he was a real person taking real food into a real body that didn't just stay in his body like Casper the ghost until it came, you know, went through his body. Instead, it was in a real body and he did real things. And he tasted, and he felt, and he chewed. He may have smelled like death, but oh my gosh, he was in the room. You see, it clarifies who Jesus is, but it also clarifies who we are. We are a chosen people. Verse 41 is clear. Not everyone has been given the gift of seeing Jesus for who he really is. For that messenger of peace. Some people believe that he came, but they just think he was a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. He gives morals. Jesus didn't come to give you morals. Buddha did. Islam did. Every other religion on the planet came to give you morals. Jesus came to raise you to life from the dead. That's what he came to do. 
Morals can be found anywhere, but eternal life can only be found in one place, the one who is the messenger of peace, the Lord over all, the defeater of the devil, right? The curse taker for all people. That we would be chosen before the foundation of the world. This is something that is a great privilege. We would not be forsaken. We would be chosen to be brought into his family. We would be adopted as a son or a daughter. We are provided by a father. We're redeemed. We're purchased back from death. We're sealed by the spirit of wisdom and resurrection and power. And so I would just pray with you that don't take this for granted. And don't push away from this idea that God chose you before the foundation of the world. This is, this is a part of what it means to be saved by grace. And if there's one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately continually taken aback by in 17 years of pastoring now, is that the people in the church are just um, as susceptible to an economy of works as everybody else. Here's what I mean by that. When you get disappointed, when you get laid off, when your marriage doesn't turn out right, when your kids don't turn out the way you'd hoped, there's a little bit inside of you that says, didn't I do everything right? That's an economy of works. And it will lead to sorrow. It will lead to great disappointment. But the economy of grace, the economy of mercy, is that I deserve nothing and you've brought me into this family. I deserve hell and death and to be in the grave forever, but you have brought me in and promised me life eternal, and it starts right here and right now because the spirit of resurrection is in me, and I did nothing to earn it. I didn't get baptized, and all of a sudden I got washed clean. Nope. I didn't say a prayer, and all of a sudden geez, the, the keys were opened. There's, I didn't go down front. I've done all these things, by the way. I've said the prayers. I've gone down front. I've gotten baptized. It wasn't until I realized that God loves me in my worst moments that this all made sense to me and the Spirit showed it to me. At my worst, he was there calling me, bringing me into his family, and he's doing the same to you. See, my fear is that we're a little bit like 20, the 2022 version of Carlos Correa. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, that just took a hard left turn. It did, and I'm sorry. You know 2022 version of Carlos Correa, the one that um, got good? And he, he was the, like the best shortstop. And then, um, and then he goes out and he tests free agency. And you know what he does? He, he signs with the highest bidder. That's basically what he did, with the most flexibility. In other words, he approached free agency. Are y'all all like not Astros fans? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Hello, ESPN. It's a whole website channel, like eight channels. It's like a whole thing. Anyways, Carlos Correa used to be on the Astros, World Series champion, won platinum glove at shortstop, awesome player, great guy, I'm sure. But he portrayed our beloved Astros, did he not? In 2022, the 2022 version of Carlos Correa thought, I'm awesome. And whatever team I choose, they'll just be happy to have me. See, a lot of us might approach our God that way. I'm pretty good. I'm the best free agent out here, actually. Got my stuff together, got a successful like, life and marriage and all is well. And you forgot the 2012 version of yourself where you were drafted, actually, onto a team. You didn't choose it. They chose it for you. 
And then they brought you in and they gave you all the best coaching and facilities and, and, and resources that they could find to train you to be this person that now you think you're awesome. Don't get on third and think you hit a triple. No, no, there's a lot of people that got you there. And the same whole idea here is that God, he, you're, you're, he's not the team that you chose. He's the God who chose you to bring you onto his team in infinite wisdom. And I'm going to tell you right now, you weren't the greatest player in high school. You actually had never picked up a bat. You'd never picked up anything in baseball or any sport. You were actually terrible at all the things. And God said, yeah, that's mine. That's the one I want. You were an orphan, and now you're a son or a daughter. You were, you were a sinner, and now I want you to be a saint. You were doing all kinds of crazy things, but I want you now to come into my family and partake of all the goodness that I have to offer. It is only by grace that we are saved, that we are chosen and brought into this family. Please receive it and believe it. But not only are you chosen, but you're also witnesses. You are witnesses of what God has done in your life. You are the witness to resurrection. It has always been this way. How you live shows the world who God is. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell us about witnesses, especially after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, there were 500 witnesses, Paul says. And basically to say, I know their names. I'll give you where they live. And if you have questions about what they saw about Jesus, the risen Jesus, go ask them. Go have dinner with them. They'll have you over. Just verify it. Every gospel account has women as the first witness to resurrection. I don't know about you, but if you're making up a story in first century, you don't include women because they were unreliable witnesses and God risked his reputation on those that were outcasts. Must be true. If you were making that story up, you wouldn't put women there. You'd put someone else there. Must be true if the risen Jesus in four different ways appears to women first. Every apostle witnessed and died for what they believed, right? I always run this down. It's always worth the time to do it because these apostles laid their life down so that you would hear the gospel. Andrew, Philip, and Thaddeus crucified. Peter, crucified upside down, tradition tells us. Thomas went all the way to India where they ran him through with a spear. Bartholomew, you forgot there was a Bartholomew as, a, uh, as an apostle, didn't you? Bartholomew flayed with a whip, a.k.a. torn open. Matthew beheaded in Ethiopia. Simon the Zealot sawed in half. James of Zebedee, Herod killed him by the sword. John of Zebedee boiled in oil. He survived. Then he got banished to the island of Patmos. James of Alphaeus was thrown from the temple, survived, killed by the sword. So glad you survived. Here's a sword. And then Paul, beheaded by Nero in Rome. And now, with no assurance of your safety, it's your turn. It's your turn. Jessa and Giselle, Kara and Ellie and Reese and the Van girls and, 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 and Truett and Tillman and Turner and all the kids and all the adults and everybody that hears the good news and believes, it's your turn to be witnesses just as they were. And I would just ask that you don't wiggle off the hook on this, that you would believe that you are witnesses of Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Jesus, the resurrected King, the one who put to death, death, that we may never taste it. I love how this passage starts. So Peter opened his mouth. You can't be a Christian without opening your mouth, y'all. 
Don't give in to that cultural lie either. You cannot be a faithful witness of Jesus without opening your mouth. You gotta actually preach it. Gotta actually share it with your neighbor and your coworker and whomever else is alongside you. All right, we've seen Jesus. Now we've seen us. And then briefly now, what else does the resurrection clarify? The resurrection clarifies God's heart for all people. Look at this at the end. Verse 43. To him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, Jesus came to establish a kingdom, not a nation. And for centuries before Jesus came, all of God's promises were kept into the nation of Israel. It was the Jewish people that were promised all these beautiful blessings from God. But when Jesus came, he didn't just say, now to all the Jews. Instead, he said, I came to the Jews first. You rejected me. I now open it up to everyone from every nation. God has a heart for all people. We're going we're to start church planting Sunday next week. We're going to get back into Genesis, and we're going to first hear about Abraham's call to be a blessing to all nations. It was not always so. Acts 10 is right in the middle of, of Peter coming to this realization that it's not just Jewish people that God wants to save. It's people of all nations, of every tribe, every language, every tongue. And not just every nation, but all kinds of people and every kind of people in every nation. The homeless as well as those that have homes, right? Those that have been pushed out and those that are on the in crowd. Those that are addicted and those that are sober. Those that are neglected and those that actually neglect others. Those that are poor and those that are rich. Those that um, ultimately are disabled and those that are freak athletes. Black or white, Hispanic, Asian, mixed race, all of the above. All are welcomed around the table of grace. That's what the resurrection tells us. All are invited, but not all come, do they? You know it. There's people in this room right now that have refused the call of grace again and again and again. So let me stand in a long line of people that have stood in your way and said, please don't go down the, the road of death. Please don't go follow the devil. Please don't go worship demons. That's what the Bible says. Please come and worship the true and living king. Please come and worship and follow and have faith in the one that died for you. That paid for your sins. Do you want to stand before the judge? Do you want to stand before him and pay for your own sins? No. There is one available that has come to pay for your sins, and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. So the Bible says, in his name, no one else's name, that everyone, anyone, all kinds of people, anyone who believes in him, it's all you got to do. No prayer, no baptism, no, no, no right things, no reading your Bible every day, no giving your tithe to the church, none of it matters. You're going to want to do that stuff afterwards, but not to get into the kingdom. Just believe. Just put your trust in the one who came to pay for your sins. It's in that name, it says, believes in his name. They receive forgiveness of sins through his name. You stand before Jesus and they say, by whose name should we recommend your entrance? 
Jesus. Not Chris, not Matt, not Dan, not Nick, not Will, not Kara, not by my name. Don't, don't, don't quote me up in there. Don't quote your parents' name. Don't quote your own name. Don't quote the name of sentiment. Well, you just hear my best effort. My best effort, Jesus, is good enough. No, no, no. His best effort is good enough. Don't stand before him. Please, I'm pleading with you. I am pleading with y'all. Don't stand before him and stand on any other name besides Jesus. Why? He's the Lord of all. He's the creator of all things. And he particularly descended to earth so he could pick you and bring you into his family. Don't resist. Don't make him twist your arm and bring you to the dinner table and tell you to wash your hands. Don't let him cleanse you and you come. So here's the deal. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm doing it. I told the elders I might do this. I'm going to do it. At the end of this passage, I don't care what time it is, candidly. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from, from among the circumcised, that's the, 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 the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even onto Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Look, we already did baptism today. But we could do it again. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you sit with all this. We're going to sing a song. And then we're going to give you an opportunity. If you believe, if you believe, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who received the Holy Spirit just like we have? I'm not here to withhold water. I'll ask you a couple questions. If you, like for real, there's some extra clothes. Bethany, where's our deacon Bethany? Where's she at? Is she in here or is she serving? Hey, look at that. Look at that. We got people. We got, red, we got extra towels. We got extra clothes. If you want to get baptized today, we will ask you some questions. We'll get you in that water, and then we'll go do some eggs. I ain't in a hurry to get eggs. Let's do this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to come right here, and I want to receive you. I want to ask you some questions, okay? If you've believed, we'll hear your story. We'll witness some baptisms. And then we'll go out and do some eggs. You'll be sopping wet. It'll be great. Okay? Let's, let's pray. Band's going to come and sing, and then we'll get going. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus. That's probably all that needs to be prayed. But because the band needs some time, when you sent your son Jesus, it meant that he was going to say no temporarily to some of the glories of heaven. He would descend to earth, live a sinless life. Imagine every day never sinning. Die a heinous death. Suffer at the hands of Herod and Pilate, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Be punched, spit on, flayed open. Deserted, betrayed, emotionally, spiritually, 
forsaken by his father for the first time, a distance there in a darkness. All for us. Lord, may we never stand before you by any other name. We may not have it all figured out today, but we know this. You're Lord of all. You're king over death, over suffering, over pain, over sorrow. And your promise remains that we will one day be resurrected. And we will one day experience this place in a new way. Because you have said and you have declared over all people, behold, look, take notice. I'm making everything new. And we're part of that. Make us new today, Lord. Holy Spirit, invade our hearts and bring us to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name do I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? Hey, if you want to respond, now's your time. I'll be up front.